Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Diama and Shaima Mazla with me on the show, and we are going to chat Ayurveda, yoga, and the difference between soul and matter. Peaceful Power Podcast is here to help you live a movement-based lifestyle, utilizing fitness, yoga, and Ayurvedic techniques. Each week, I will bring you a motivational guest or a solo show geared to help you take action to live that peaceful, powerful life. Uh, Diama and Shama are sisters, and so they are in New York City, and they have a Bhakti Yoga Center, as well as a um, Ayurvedic cafe there. And so they teach a lot on the philosophy of Ayurvedic lifestyles and um, Bhakti Yoga. And if anyone studied Bhakti Yoga, there's just lots of layers and depths to that. And so we get into a little bit of that in today's episode. And um, if you guys are in the New York City area, definitely check the, check them out and check out their studio because. There's such, um, there was such an amazing duo to chat with. And I think this might've been my first duo that I've had on the show. And I was introduced to them by, um, one of my friends that I met at this, uh, wise woman of winter retreat that I went on. And she had told me that these gals would be perfect for the show. So, um, I reached out and really enjoyed our conversation. So you're going to go, we're going to go a little bit more in depth about, um, you know, our highest self and fear of being judged and all of that stuff today. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. And um, as always, you can let me know over on Instagram at Andrea Clausen 21, um, what landed for you guys. All right, welcome back to the Peaceful Power podcast. This well, I guess this Tuesday morning, I have a wonderful duo guest. So this might be my first duo guest that I've had on the show. And so I'm super excited and they are sisters. So I'm going to kind of throw it over to them and I'm going to have them give us a little bit of background on them. And I want to know how you guys decided to form Sister Science and um, tell me a little bit more about working with your sister. (laughs) All right. My name is Diana, and I'm here with my sister Shama. And um, we were actually raised in a family of yogis. Our parents practiced bhakti yoga, which is the path of love and devotion, learning how to love God, learning how to love and serve each other. And um, when we're about two years apart, when I was 10, my our dad got really into Ayurveda. And he opened an Ayurvedic health center. And um, we lived around there. We hung out there during our days. When I was 15, he taught us how to do Ayurvedic massage. And um, it was just, it was really easy to begin to develop faith in the science of Ayurveda because we would see people come in for three days a week, say a month sometimes, and they would completely transform just after a few days of living this simple lifestyle um, tailored to their, their life, their, um, their body type, their constitution. And, um, and yeah, for me, <laughs> my experience is quite funny because I was working at the mall. I think I was 18. I was getting the minimum wage of $6 an hour. <laughs> and then my dad said, hey, if you come work for me at the Ayurveda Health Center, I'll pay you 35 an hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. So for me, at the time, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to get a job at the Ayurveda Health Retreat. That makes way more sense. So that was kind of my <laughs> my intro to stepping into that world. Yeah, then we, we both moved to Colorado to go to college there at Nairobi University, and we were taking yoga as an elective, and um, me and my sister both, like, somehow 
like we went to private schools when we were young. And so like first and second grade were together and third and fourth grade were together. And so every other year we'd always be in the same class. We had the same circles of friends and our interests were always really aligned. And um, so we went to massage school together. We moved to Colorado and went to, to college together and both found this deep passion for yoga, really realizing, um, yeah, how it's it's more than just a physical exercise. It's really a path and a process to self-realization, God-realization. And long story short, we decided this is what we wanted to give our life to. So then um, every year, Diana and I, this is Shaima now, Diana and I do a yoga retreat in Costa Rica. This will be our, what, 10th or 11th year? So we've been doing it since college. And one of the years, um, we got, got on a phone call, um, a friend of a friend of a friend somehow wanted to invite us to come to New York City and help them open a yoga studio. And at the time, Deanna and I, we were living in the Colorado mountains. We we're like traveling the world, doing some yoga retreats, doing teacher trainings. We we're like, I don't know, New York City sounds a little bit too intense. And all of our friends were like, you guys will last two seconds in New York City. It's not going to happen. <laughs> we're like, we're going to give this a try. This will be our next adventure. We're going to give this a try. So, um, yeah, we moved here and... In 2011. 2011. And it was amazing. It seemed like like there was a lot of resistance to doing it. But once we made the decision, like somehow, like divine grace, things unfolded so beautifully. And um, now we, we have Stanton Street Yoga, and then about a 10-minute walk away, the Bhakti Center, which is really our heart and soul. It's our teacher's project. His name is Radhanath Swami. And me and my husband and my sister and her husband, we, we live here. We have a yoga studio here. Um, there's an Ayurvedic cafe on the first floor. The yoga studio is the second floor. The third floor, it's a traditional Vedic temple with deities of Radha and Krishna, where if you go to India now, um, you'll see the same pujas and ceremonies and um, that you see right here in the Lower East Side, the East Village of Manhattan. Um, and yeah, it's really, really special, the whole yoga cultural center in East Village. So it's, mm. it's, it's a joy to get to, to share not only the physical practice, which has become so popular here in the West, but uh, the whole culture and lifestyle and really spiritual path that yoga has to offer. And, and then that, the Ayurveda, which people are so fascinated by. We, we do yoga teacher trainings and um, we offer a little bit of Ayurveda in the 200-hour. Now we have a 100-hour course that we're offering in the fall. People are just, I'm sure you experience this too. Like as soon as you start talking about Ayurveda, people become so intrigued and there's so many questions and there's so much excitement around it. And so um, hence our kind of moving into that focus at this point in our lives. They're saying that people are, are really hungry for the information. Yeah, no, I've found the same thing. And that's after I started kind of introducing it to, um, you know, even the listeners of the podcast, like that's been the most downloaded podcast episodes and like people just want to know more about it. And I think I've seen the same thing as once they start, you know, diving into it, they're like, oh, this is, this is real. Like it's practical. It makes sense. Totally. So I love that. Um, I want to know how it is. Cause I think I've had a few couples on, um, that work together, but never sisters. Like, how is it like forming, um, I guess like a work partnership with a sibling? Like, does that always go swimmingly or how did that kind of come about? Well, I have to say, this is Shima speaking that I didn't being work partners, best friends, sisters, soulmates has been the greatest blessing of my life. 
Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> and working together has always been really natural because since a young age, we've kind of been inseparable. We always want to be together. So when it came to like choosing what, what kind of service do we want to offer in the world, it felt only natural that we did it together. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to travel the world together. We wanted to share our love for yoga and Ayurveda. And of course, there's some times that we'll have like little, little things, but I feel like our love is so strong and it's so committed that those little things are easy to kind of brush away. Like we'll get really mad at each other for like five minutes. And then like three minutes later, we'll be like, okay, hey, let's go for a walk. <laughs> let's just go like, get, let's go grab a cup of tea and just like dust it under the rug. <laughs> yeah, I think with, awesome. with, like, with like the foundation of, of love that's at the center of our relationship, I feel like that actually just makes working together easier. Like she said, nothing is too big of a deal that we can't work through it. Mm. And so, um, yeah, beautiful. And, and somehow the sistership has also given us like the support that I think we both needed to believe in ourselves. Like maybe if I was alone trying to do what we're doing now, I don't think I ever would have really made the steps forward. But we were both holding each other's hands like through the process of our first retreat. Would anybody actually really want to come with us to Costa Rica or India? I don't know. but we're going to do this together. New York, does anyone want to come to our yoga studio? Would anyone want to take yoga classes with us? Okay, we're going to do this together. Even getting married, somehow the the men that we found, they're both amazing, beautiful, both also practitioners of yoga and Ayurveda. And we were like, okay, we're going to marry these guys (laughs) within what, two years apart, one year apart. And um, the four of us lived together for about four and a half years, um, which was pretty amazing, getting to know each other's husbands very intimately as as well. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I do not have a sister. I have three brothers. And so I'm like, oh. Whoa, oh my God. That's pretty cool too, though, I imagine. Oh, yes. Yes. There's, um, yeah, having three younger brothers. So it's interesting. Like I I have found with there's four of us, like me and one of my middle brother are the closest and then my next oldest and the youngest are the closest. And you just kind of have that bond and like, you know, similar personalities, I think. Um, Right. So that's where it it always makes it easy and fun. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. And I think you shared all of your important moments throughout your life with these people. It's like, they'll know you in a way no one else will. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally true. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the difference between soul and matter. Cause I know that was something that you had wanted to discuss and I want to know, I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast. So, um, what do you guys, you know, have about the difference between soul and matter? Um, well, this entire world that we live in, it's, it's made up of matter. Like this bed that we're sitting on right now, it's made up of matter. The ground beneath it, it's made up of matter. Even the air, it's just a subtle form of matter. And, and these bodies too, they're just made up of matter. Um, but there's something different about these bodies. It's different than the bed that I'm sitting on. And the difference is there's something inside of it that's giving it life, that gives it the ability to be conscious. And that's, that's the soul. That's the spirit. And so um, the predicament of the soul is that we live in this world that is completely made up of matter and thus we begin to identify with it. Like, I think that I am this body. I think that I am these roles that I play, this personality that I have. And what that does is it really sets us up for suffering because even Einstein says matter, it's neither created nor destroyed, but it's always changing. Mm. And so if I link my happiness to something out there in the world being a certain way, the moment it changes, I'm upset 
or my happiness changes into sadness or frustration. It's just the inevitability of change when we link our identity or our experience of happiness or success to a world that is constantly changing. And so what yoga and Ayurveda both urge us to do is begin to identify more with the soul. Because by nature, the soul, well, the first thing is sat. The soul is eternal. Even when matter changes, eventually this body dies, the soul continues. The second quality of the soul is chit, which means full of knowledge. That everything that I'm seeking outside of me, when I begin to turn my awareness within, I realize it's already there. And the third quality of the soul is ananda, which means by nature, I'm blissful. So the nature of the soul is bliss, yet I'm seeking happiness outside of me in a world that's always changing. So I never actually get to experience the real happiness that I'm seeking because I'm looking for lasting happiness. Hmm. And the only place we can actually find that lasting happiness is in a place that, that's lasting, which is the soul, the spirit. Um, which again is sat, chit, ananda, eternal, full of knowledge and blissful. And one thing in bhakti yoga we really understand is that the soul is in constant relationship with the divine, with the supreme. So that the goal of yoga, and we know the word yoga means to unite or connect or to yoke. The truest goal, the the largest goal of yoga is to reconnect our our little cute soul <laughs> <laughs> with the supreme soul, with the source of all love. And there's many different names we might call um, the name of the Supreme God. In our tradition of bhakti, we call him Krishna, and the feminine aspect is Radha. And there's also other names. Some people will identify with universe or nature, Allah, Jehovah, Rama, Sita. There's so many different names for the one supreme source of all love that has come in many different times and um, many different ways. And then when we can begin to discern matter from spirit, then really our work in this world, because because we do have a body, we do live in this world made up of matter, it's how can I utilize matter to serve spirit? Like I could use an instrument just to blow up my ego and my personality and this sense of self that, again, as time goes on, it changes. Or I can use this instrument to do kirtan or praise divinity or um, meditation to reestablish the connection to the soul. And so how can I use everything that I have in service of the divine? And ultimately that's um, the perfection of living in this world that's made up of matter. Mm. Can you talk about then kind of your spirituality and the important role that it kind of plays in both of your lives? Because I think that's kind of a theme that I was hearing as you guys were talking about that. Yeah, I would say our, our spirituality is definitely, at least we try to make it the foundation of our life. Um, it all really started, again, Diana shared earlier that we were raised in the path of bhakti yoga, which is the yoga of love and devotion. And when we met our teacher, Radhana Swami, uh, about six or seven years ago, he really opened our mind and our heart of what it looks like to be in connection to the divine and to live a life of selfless service. And we were able to spend a lot of time with him here in New York City at the Bhakti Center. And day after day, week after week, month after month of being around him and his students, we we wanted to give our heart to the mission that he was giving his heart to, which is sharing love of God throughout the world. So we try to make our choices in our life in a way that is going to take us closer to that service and closer to 
serving our teacher, Radna Swami, his teacher, Srila Prabhupada, and um, really, really, yeah, really helped to spread the word. <laughs> spread the good word. that that is um I think that's beautifully beautifully said and um one thing that I think that some people run into is you know they might have a spiritual practice or have that inside of them but they're kind of you know in living in fear of like putting it out there into the world for fear of being judged do you have any advice for people if they're like I am a spiritual person but I just haven't shown it yet or I'm just too scared to like put that side of myself out there for people to see yeah I mean I think it's all about being in the right association. And so to find other people that are also interested. Mm -hmm. I feel like to do spiritual life alone, it's obviously possible, but it's not easy. Mm -hmm. And so to find a a group or like-minded souls, seekers, um, people interested in having these conversations, um, then you won't feel alone in it. And you'll find that... um, yeah, it's it's like the most uplifting experience of your life. And if you don't have that, just go deeper into your own practice, whether it's meditation or reading spiritual texts or whatever it is that helps you to feel connected. And then people will begin to notice something shifts inside of you. Like there's there's something that happens to you through diving more deeply into your own practices and they'll start to ask. And so rather than kind of going out and preaching it's really you begin to live as the example and people people notice something shifting and so you don't even have to necessarily tell them anything you just show them by who you are and who you're becoming Mm. yeah I think that that's great advice as well Um, because I know that's something that I just from being in the Midwest like sometimes it can be um, more fear I guess based here and so you know just finding those people and I think that that's I mean, so true, like just turning on that light inside yourself and people find you, you know? Yeah, well said. Mm. So I know, um, you know, finding your alignment with your highest self is also something that, um, you know, people are talking about now. And I want to know, how do you guys find that alignment for your highest self right now? Mm. It's a beautiful question. And the first thing that comes to my heart is, by looking at the example of um, our teacher, Radna Swami, we keep mentioning him because he's like <laughs> the North Star of our life. Um, and when I'm living in integrity 
with the teachings of bhakti, with the teachings of yoga and the teachings of Ayurveda, I feel like that's how I'm in alignment. Because if I'm just listening to my mind day to day, my highest alignment might change from day to day to month to month. But if I'm living in uh, in accordance to a lineage that's been passed down and that's been proven to work for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, then there's something to kind of look to when um, when I might feel lost and I might not know. And in Bhakti Yoga, there's these three principles, sadhana, sangha, and seva, um, that they teach if we are constantly engaged with these three things, then we're actively pursuing the soul. And sadhana is our spiritual practice. And so every single day, no matter what happens, you um, sit down, we sit down and we do our spiritual practice. And for us, we do japa meditation. We have mala beads, and with each bead, we chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And it's it's a mantra, which man means mind, tra means to free. And it's um, it's also a prayer. It's saying, my dear Lord, please use me. Please engage me in your service. Let these hands be yours, this heart be yours. So I can be an instrument of your love and compassion in this world. And then something also with uh, daily practice or daily sadhana is showing up even when you don't want to show up. Just like in any relationship, like with Diana, if we make meeting after meeting and I decide I'm not coming, I'm not coming, I'm not coming, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come have a cup of tea with you. I'm not going to, you know, do anything. Then at some point Diana might be like, okay, I guess you're not interested in this relationship. So in the same way, if, if we're not committing ourselves to a practice day after day when we want to and we don't want to, just like we would commit ourselves to a meaningful relationship, even when we want to or we don't want to, then there's not really a possibility for growth or there's not really a possibility for a deepening. And the second principle is Sangha, which we kind of touched upon. It's having spiritual community. Um, like if you put an iron rod in fire, it takes on the qualities of fire. It becomes hot and red. If you put that same iron rod in the freezer, it takes on the quality of ice. It gets cold. It gets yet to touch. And so in the same way, who we spend time with, we begin to take on their qualities. Mm-hmm. And so we want to spend time with people who uplift us, who remind us and help us to reconnect to who we really are, beyond the roles and the personalities, and that really inspire us on the spiritual path. And the third thing is seva, which means service. We need to find ways to serve because it takes us out of this more self-centered kind of small mindedness that we can tend to live in or exist in our life. And it connects us to like our humanness in the sense of like our deep spiritual connection with other people, with the animals and with the earth. And something about service. Last night, we actually just hosted um, a Valentine's festival called the Festival of Love. And it was our first time doing this. And it was so amazing. Um, So many people were coming that were just saying, you know, last year on Valentine's Day, I just watched movies. I was so depressed. Or last year on Valentine's, I just got totally drunk. I was so depressed. Um, So it was just so wonderful to feel that people were happy to to come and somehow being able to make a difference and, and make a place that felt like home for them, a community. And doing that service, like both of us were just jumping around, floating around. Yeah, and so if we're ever feeling like disconnected to our soul or to our spiritual life or to God, 
like these are just like three places we can check. Like, am I being steady in my practices? My mind focused? Am I actually showing up fully? Am I spending time with people that inspire me? And am I serving in my life? And um, almost a hundred percent of the time, if I'm not feeling connected, it's because I'm not showing up fully in one of these three aspects of my life. Hmm. I think that is um, that is something that is also like, am I serving in my life? Like that is something I just wrote down. Cause I'm like, that's sometimes we don't always think about that. I don't think, you know, I think we sometimes get so caught up in our day-to-day actions that that can be something that's left off, you know, our plates totally. completely, you know? Totally. Yeah. And it's said in, in the, the yogic text that, you know, it's in our nature to serve. Like when we're connected to our soul beyond the mind and the to-do list and the past and the future, when we're actually connected to our soul, like all we want to do is serve. All we want to do is give. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's easy to get wrapped up in the day-to-day stuff and, you know, find so many reasons why we don't have enough time or space, but there's nothing like serving that, um, to connect us back to who we really are. Mm-hmm. It just yes. reminds us. Yes. And one thing else that I think um, for me that connects me back to, you know, who I am, and I actually just went out for a walk just now, um, but it's just getting outside in nature. Because I think sometimes that's a lost art for many of us as well is just connecting to nature and just kind of knowing, I guess some people are like, I don't even know what to do out there. Like I had a friend who's like, I don't really know what to do. Like, what do you just stand out there? And so (laughs) I'm like, that is a great question. You know, like just stuff like that, that sometimes I grew up on a farm. So I'm like, love being outside. Um, But not everyone has had that experience. And so how do you kind of help people connect back to nature? And I think it's, especially because you guys are New York City. So I have people who are in a city as well. And they're just like, there's not a ton of nature, so to speak, you know, (laughs) kind of get them to find some or make that connection again. Yeah, that's a really good question. It was something we were kind of asking ourselves for our first few years of living here. Yeah. There's no nature. There's no nature. <laughs> but now it's been about six and a half years. And I can definitely say I, I do feel connected to nature, even in the concrete city. And um, one is just by observing the elements of nature that even exist here. We find earth anywhere that we're walking water through the east and the west, both rivers and through the rains and the puddles, fire, the sun is still shining here in New York City, so it's a beautiful way to connect the element. And then, of course, ether and air, the beautiful winds, and especially in the falls and the winters, the air is just so, it feels so clean compared to the (laughs) summer. The summers here feel like um, the air is thick with pee and sweat. (laughs) (laughs) But another thing that we both do in our apartments is just bringing nature into our apartments by having lots of plants, lighting lots of candles and even playing on YouTube. Like I'll go and look up like sounds of nature or sounds of water Creek or, and just playing those sounds throughout the house. Um, it allows me to feel connected. And we're also very lucky that we both get to travel and leave the city very often. So that's a, huge blessing um but but uh, yeah it's possible to connect with nature anywhere because nature is everywhere Mm, yes um and I like that idea of bringing you know plants inside because I think sometimes we forget that we can bring a little bit of nature into our homes as well totally yeah I'm very bad at that I kill my plants and so I have Ah. to 
I have to try that again. I was in college and I last tried, I brought a bamboo plant in, which are supposed to be like indestructible and somehow I killed it. So I don't know how. So that was my last go at it, but I'm like, okay, I've had, I garden now, so I should be able to make something survive. indoors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to know, um, you know, kind of last few questions is, you know, we talked, you guys talked about the bhakti yoga and um, like, if someone's like, okay, what is like a bhakti yoga class? If I was going to attend one, cause I know we do have some classes here um, locally in the Minneapolis St. Paul area. And some people might see it on other schedules um, wherever they're living what can you tell us like a little bit about like what to expect if we are going to go to a bhakti yoga class? Yeah. And so there are four main paths of yoga and I'm, I say path um, in the sense of traditionally in India, when you practice yoga, you walk this path with the intention of through this path and in this life, I want to reunite with God. And so on one of those paths, um, called Ashtanga Yoga, not in the sense of the the yoga classes or the asana style that they have here in the West, but again, an actual path of yoga. Um, One of the ways, one of the limbs, there's eight full limbs, was asana. And asana is the physical aspect of yoga, which here in the West, people, when you say I practice yoga or I practice bhakti yoga, people think, oh, what kind of physical exercise are you doing? Yes. Yeah. Um, where asana, it's like one, one tiny limb of the, the full spectrum of yoga. And so in our yoga classes, we, we offer like a vinyasa style class, but we weave in the deeper teachings of yeah, the difference between matter and spirit and how to understand the mind and what is this mind anyways like wow it's it's this voice in my head that's always saying something about everything but it only knows the past and based on the past it's trying to kind of figure out what's going to happen in the future so I'm never actually present Mm -hmm. and so we begin to teach people about the nature of their mind so that they can understand it and rather than in the Bhagavad Gita it says either you control your mind or your mind controls you Mm-hmm. And so how to work with the mind so we can actually utilize it in ways that serve, in ways that uplift us, in ways that reconnect us. And then we always end with kirtan, which is mantra music meditation. Um, and usually that mantra, the maha mantra that I said earlier, just my dear Lord, please use me. And so it's really praying to be an instrument of, of God's love in this world. And then here at the Bhakti Center, um, also we're starting online courses this year. Um, when you say bhakti yoga, it's really diving into the deeper philosophy, the lifestyle practices um, that help us to really establish first our connection to our soul and then our soul's connection with God. So again, we can we can be, be that instrument in this world. And also another thing that you might find if you're taking a bhakti yoga class or an asana class is less of a less of a focus on the external and more of a focus on dropping into our heart space. Because again, bhakti is all about reconnecting and loving with devotional service to the, to the divine and also to everyone in our life. So really just get, getting into a space of love. Yes, I know. I think they actually took, there used to be a bhakti yoga class at my studio that I usually go to. And I think they took it off the schedule. I was kind of bummed because I wanted to go to the practice because we learned just like, you know, a smidgen about what it was going through yoga teacher training. And I was like, this, this is really, I mean, just, it's so much deeper than, you know, just your regular 
maybe vinyasa class. And so I was kind of intrigued by that. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's like endless, boundless depths. Yeah. Um, yes. You can spend forever and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and more real and more alive. And it's really amazing. Really, mm. really amazing. Mm. Well, if someone wants to um, connect with you on a yoga retreat, uh, do you guys have any yoga retreats coming up this year? We do. Every June we go to Costa Rica. Fun. And so that's June 15th to 20th. And it's a retreat called Elemental Being where every day we spend kind of diving into the physiological, psychological, as well as spiritual aspect of each element. And so it's a five-night retreat in our favorite part of Costa Rica. Um, we have a yoga teacher training. We have advanced asana and storytelling coming up in May. We have a 200-hour yoga teacher training in July. And then we have a 100-hour Ayurveda training in the fall, as well as a 100-hour Bhakti yoga training in the fall. Um, and then we head to India every January on a, on a deeply amazing, actually just, just got home last week. It's a very profound experience of really yoga and Ayurveda's motherland. So more than just going as a tourist, we actually go as, as pilgrims and um, it's, yes, it's unbelievable. It's really an amazing journey. Mm. And then every spring and every fall down in Florida, we do um, Ayurveda cleanses. Mm. So those are five days of um, diving a little deeper into Ayurveda as well as just an experience of cleansing the mind, the body, and awakening the heart. It's, yeah, really, really beautiful reconnecting to nature. Really awesome. Love it. Oh. Yes, I did an Ayurvedic uh, fall cleanse this past year um, with my teacher, and it was awesome. You know, it was something that was, yeah. you know, I hadn't tried. I was, I went more than just the food because I think sometimes when people hear cleanse, they think, you know, what are you eating? But I was, you know, really stuck with some technology and just put boundaries around just kind of, you know, that peace because running your own business, you can always be working. And so I'm like, I'm going to put more boundaries here. And I have a two-year-old. And so really trying to get like more present, you know? Yes. So I'm like, get present with him when I'm with him. So I'm not like on my phone and not paying attention. So that was really eye-opening just to see how hard it was those first few days to be like, no, 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 the phone is done. Like you're done. Like no more getting out. (laughs) So I would, I mean, that's something anyone could and should do is just a little, you know, technology detox on themselves to see, okay, how addicted am I? And not even maybe realize it. Yeah. I actually lost my phone in India two weeks ago and I haven't had it since. And it's been so nice. Oh man. That's awesome. I want to get one actually. (laughs) I know it is. It's like, you seems like it'd be freeing to have one, but then when you have it, you can kind of become like just entranced with it and be like, no, in charge of my life doesn't need to be. It's like we were talking about earlier. It's like with all matter, it's either the greatest blessing or the greatest curse. You can either utilize it to serve or you utilize it to completely disconnect. Yes. And so how more and more can we use everything in our life to help us to reconnect to our soul, to really serve in this world? 
Oh, yes. I love it on coming back full circle. So I always always like to end with um, one final question and you guys can do this together or each do a separate challenge, but I like to ask the listeners to do a weekly challenge for the week. And then when I have guests on, I have you guys throw out a little challenge to everyone. So um, what would you guys like that challenge to be this week? Hmm. I would say take five minutes every day this week to meditate Mm -hmm. and of course there's so many apps I'm sure there's YouTube videos there's so many ways if you're just beginning to meditate um, that you can learn but five minutes steadily every day this week um, to reconnect to settle the mind and connect back to your heart and your soul Yeah, mine was actually very similar. And maybe a a little more specific, I would suggest some breathing techniques, maybe the first two minutes. And then mantra meditation, the Maha Mantra is the one we were chanting earlier, which is a sound vibration that cleanses the heart, it cleanses the mind, and reconnects us with our true nature. So the breathing can help to settle the mind, and then the mantra will help to reconnect us with our true self. And you can just YouTube Maha Mantra. M, like Mary, A-H-A Mantra. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) And I can put one, I can try to find one on YouTube and I'll put it in the show notes. So in case anyone's like, you can just click on the link. I love it. Well, thank you gals. It's been so much fun um, having you on and um, really deep diving into, um, you know, the soul and matter, like really was the theme of our theme of our show today. So thank you gals for your knowledge. Uh, Thank Thank you you. so much for having us. Thank you, Andrea. It was so nice talking to you. Thank you. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.